Well, we have reached the end of most of what I think is the Easter season. <laughs> it's pretty much the end. We've got two big feasts back to back. Well, a bunch of feasts back to back to back, but that's right. The Ascension that's right. and then Pentecost. And then I think it's a whole series of, you know, misplaced feasts, not really knowing where to where to put them. <laughs> just stick them um, in after Pentecost. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, I think you and I, we were just talking uh, before we recorded, we'll finish out uh, this uh, this little arc of episodes before our summer break. Because you and I, uh, we do a lot of traveling over the summer. So we'll do this Ascension recording and then a Pentecost recording, and then we'll call it for a bit. That seem yeah. all right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we'll finish... Do. Yeah, we'll finish out the Easter season with Pentecost uh, next week, and then uh, we'll take a couple months break because I am relocating again. Going back to the degree. Yeah, I'm going to go back to school. And so it would be interesting to look back over the course of this uh, these couple of years that we've been recording uh, and like draw it out on a map of like where we've been you know, over the course <laughs> yeah, of it all. Yeah, it's been all over. Yeah, I think we started this when you were in Berkeley still. That's right. That's right. And then I've and been lots of places since then. Right. I think you were in Canada. Yeah, I was in Toronto. And so I was starting in Toronto and then we moved from there and here and everywhere. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, this week we're on the Ascension and um, I my, right out of the gate, I just have a quick question for you. I'm reading these readings and I'm thinking to myself, you know, not to wade into the waters of like, you know, Thursday versus Sunday. Like that's not that interesting to me. What's interesting to me is that Jesus ascended on the 40th day. Mm-hmm. And so... 40 days after Easter um, would be that Thursday, uh, which we now transfer to Sunday. But my question is actually about Pentecost. So Pentecost happens 10 days after the Ascension. Is that right? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess like liturgically I know it does. But like, is that what happened in the book of Acts? Was it 10? I wonder if it says that like 10 days later, you know, the spirit came down in fiery, you know, a fiery blast. I don't know. I just think it's kind of interesting that it's 50 days for Pentecost, even mm-hmm. in the name, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have no idea. I guess we'll find out next week when we record. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Um, you know, one of the things I was going to mention uh, as we start this recording, I've been very interested in how the readings, even at Daily Mass, uh, and starting with uh, the Gospel for the Sixth Sunday, which we preached, um, I, I find it very like illuminating and also easy to latch onto the constant references to the Holy Spirit uh, mm-hmm. this early on before Pentecost. I like how the like the liturgy is preparing us for Pentecost by mentioning the Advocate uh, with with regularity. I like we had the Sunday on the sixth Sunday where there's a conversation around peace, which is what I hinge my homily around. Uh, but it was the Advocate will come, you know, and he, you know, uh, the peace that I bring, you know, comes with the Advocate. Mm-hmm. And then you also had that in the readings for the Ascension is that. You know, he gave instructions through the Holy Spirit, you know, and then he said that we should go and baptize with the Holy Spirit. And then, you know, you will you will receive power in the Holy Spirit. So the first reading is consistently reminding us of the Holy Spirit's presence and power. And then again, too, in the gospel. So anyway, so like the Holy Spirit being a, a pervasive image here or, you know, character in these stories or, you know, presence in the in the mystery, even well before Pentecost. Yeah, yeah. No, I like, and I think there's an important, I mean, just as when we approach um, Christmas and Easter, you know, we can't forget the beginning with the end. I think there's an important c- circularity of it, I guess. Yeah. Unity, maybe is a better way to put that um, to all of this. Right, right, right. Um, so good. So yeah, so uh, maybe just really quick, a quick note on the sixth Sunday. I, I did take some inspiration about the advocate, about the Holy Spirit coming. And um, I thought about preaching on the fruits of the Spirit with uh 
because there's the mentioning of peace and joy in the gospel. Um, but instead, I just did a whole homily about peace. I was surprised mm. that that's what ended up happening. But we were talking at length last week about not as the world gives peace do I bring it. And so I built my whole homily around that, about the difference between like the peace that the world brings is the absence of violence, the absence mm-hmm. of war. But that the peace, the peace that the Christ brings uh, that you see on display in the early church is that they were of one mind and heart. And so right. talking about how that right. unity is what peace looks like. Yeah, no, I, I like that. And that was something that I was, that I was praying about a lot yesterday um, is this idea of it's not the same, this peace, you know, what we want to say, what we want to call as peace is very worldly, you know, yeah. stop wars, for example, you know, there's wars going on all over the, all over the world right now. And that is a, a, a that is peace. Okay. Don't get me wrong, but like, you know, I think it always, for me, it always comes back to this question of what separates us from why Christianity, if that's all that there is to it. It has to yeah. be something deeper. Right, um, right. Yeah, so. if the most that we can hope for is that we're not going to kill each other. I mean, that's <laughs> that's a pretty uh, low low bar, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so no, that was good. And so what? What? Uh, just to dovetail into the Ascension, the way that I ended my homily on the sixth Sunday was to speak that we're not strangers to each other, but that what the peace that Christ brings is the peace of being brothers under one father. And mm-hmm. so we belong to one family and that's what it means to be of one mind and heart is that we share a common father. And so brothers don't wage war against each other and mm-hmm. brothers actually are of one mind and heart and they, they bring the reign of the father to, you know, to earth. And so thinking about the familial dimension here that Christ came to establish a church, which is the body of Christ, the family of God, you know, thinking about that to set up, you know, the, the readings for Pentecost in a couple of weeks. Um, I, I don't know how the Ascension is going to fit into that idea, but I, it was helpful for me in thinking about peace in in the church, that the early church was at peace mm-hmm. precisely because everyone saw themselves in their common sonship, you know, with God. Yeah, no, I think, I think there is a way to, um, yeah, to, to dovetail, I'm distracted right now, I'm pulling up the Ascension preface because I think there is, um, there's a link there. So it says, mediator between God and man, judge of the world and Lord of hosts. He ascended not to distance himself from our lowly state, but that we, his members might be confident of following where he, our head and founder has gone before. So I think there's this really beautiful way of incorporating us into the body, yeah, um, the body of Christ, the church. Um, yeah, that's right. And as not, and not just being like, oh, because you know, we say that all the time. You know, we call each other brothers and sisters and sons of God, and you know, blah 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 blah. <laughs> but like, <laughs> no man, this event, this ascension, Jesus going on before us, um, again, as it said, not to distance himself, but so that we may be confident of where of where we're going. Right. Right. Yeah, that's great. You know, where our head has gone, so we will follow. You know, yeah. as his members. Um, you know, when I hear that, I, I think of like the eschatological, like he has gone ahead mm-hmm. of us um, and will follow suit eventually. But, you know, a lot of people when they when they preach on the ascension, like Baron does this a lot, is is that Christ is currently in heaven. Mm-hmm. So it's not just that like we'll go there too, but even his position from heaven in the church is one where like we're united to that as members of the body. So like our head is in earth, I'm sorry, is in heaven in while, while we're on earth, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. And the body is on earth as well, though. The yeah. Church. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I don't know. There's this stuff gets very like metaphorical a little bit to me. It I'm does. Not sure. It does. You know, 
I'm, if you'll allow me to get a little nerdy really quickly, there's this yeah, really great idea from Tolkien, surprise, surprise, my favorite, um, that the elves know exactly <laughs> what happens when they die. They go back to the halls of Mandos and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Okay, Google I told Google. you I was getting, I told you I was getting nerdy. All right, uh, all right, go, go, go. But for humanity, for the, for men, that nobody knew. And that was the great lie uh, of the deceiver, of the one of Sauron, who wanted them to storm the shores of Valinor to, to take immortality, because that was something that they could, that they could control, that they can grasp. Hmm. And it kind of developed, and that's why they fell and became, you know, whatever. Uh, the point is, though, I think there's this really beautiful thing that he's getting at, that the, there's a fear of the unknown. Not even the elves know what happened to men when they die. Wow. And with this, with these prayers, especially with these readings, we're kind of getting an answer to that. We know what happens because Jesus has gone before us and has literally opened up the gates yeah. um, so that we don't have to live in that fear and, and grasp at, you know, this distorted sense of immortality when we can have true life. Hmm. I like that. No, that's good. That's good. Um <laughs> So we, so like you were saying, so we don't know what, like we, we have confidence of where the, where Christ has gone before, you know, before us. And yeah. so we know where, what our, we know what our destiny is. Yeah. And I mean, has gone there before. Yeah. yeah, we still see, we still, obviously we still see a lot of people fearing death as pandemics have raged, have raged through the world. Uh, and there's another one apparently. Uh, right. And so like a lot of people are, are coming to grips, coming to terms with their own mortality. And, yeah. Uh, in an alarming way, you know, even Christians. So it's still something that we fear, but I think the, for me at least, it's, it's telling that it's something that we need not fear hmm. because yeah. as St. Paul says, we, uh, as opposed to the pagans, we have hope. Yeah, that's right. So like you, like this, this feast is often confused with the assumption of Mary in August, but it's, it's a similar phenomenon is that we have a, a clarity of hope knowing that our savior has gone before us and that our mother has gone before mm -hmm. us as well, you know? Um, and that even Jesus says in John's gospel that I go to prepare a place for you so that he, he's there to prepare precisely the place that we will eventually occupy, you know, and that's a beautiful thought. That's a reassuring thought, you know, as Gandalf yeah. would say. Yeah, that's good. Um, you know, really quick, just pivoting to something that, uh, as you were talking, I was reminded of, uh, one thing that my professor in Spain would talk about, he's our patric patristic scholar. He would talk a lot about the very Jewish roots of the early church, and uh, which is not surprising since these men were, were all Jews. Uh, and he said that in the Jewish custom, custom, and I stand to be corrected on anybody who knows more about this than I do, but he said the Jewish custom of the Passover was actually that up until the feast of Pentecost, which was the Jewish Pentecost, uh, that's a Jewish feast, uh, 50 days after Passover, that within those 50 days, heads of families and rabbis could offer the Paschal sacrifice, that it was a way of making concession for people who had a hard time traveling. Hmm. And so the early church in those 50 days, when Jesus, especially the first 40 days, when Jesus was appearing everywhere and breaking bread, that he was celebrating the Passover with them. Hmm. And I thought it was a really beautiful thought to think about how all of the appearances and all of the breakings of bread and all of the meals that Jesus in, undergoes in these 40 days are precisely the theology that we have of the Passover continued 
and then represented by the resurrected Christ. And so the celebrating of the Eucharist over the course of the 40 days. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, there's a way, there's a, there's a unity there, you know, that mm-hmm. I think I've, I even mentioned this, um, a couple of weeks ago talking about this homily that I heard that I didn't particularly care for, but the idea was really cool on how, when your mom calls your name, yells out your name when you're, you know, when she wants you to come in from playing all day, even if you can't hear it, uh, you know, su- supposing there's this neighborhood, blah, 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 like the, the word travels and you'll hear about it. Yeah, and so the way that even if you're not there at that day, at that time, that the that your mom's voice or your father's voice still comes to you. That's right. Uh, yeah, yeah. And there's a meta point, I guess, too, with like celebrating Easter over 50 days, where we see that it's precisely what we're doing on a macro scale with our centuries and millennia since the resurrection. Is that we're living out those periodic. Passover meals every time we celebrate the Eucharist. That's you right. Know, extended through time. Um, and I think another another sort of meta point that might be helpful too is that as we prepare for Pentecost, we have to remember that we are currently in a post-Pentecost church. Like we, yeah. that's what we live, you know? And so by virtue of our participation in the life of the spirit, you know, we enter and have access to the Paschal mystery um, mm-hmm. in, in the sacraments, you know? Um, I still don't really know. I mean, what I would preach on in the Ascension right now out of the gate is as we're talking, I like your point about hope. I think that's a really beautiful one and a good way of getting at the Ascension is to speak Uh about the confident hope that we have that our head has gone before. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was, I was thinking about that too. Like what is, what's the, the, the good news here? What's the, what's the message? And as you know, I've been thinking a lot about the weirdness of our faith. You know, this idea that Jesus is ascending into heaven is kind of weird when you take a step back from it. Um, and like this cosmic reality, I think last year or the year before, we were talking a lot about this question, why are you standing there looking at the sky? And I was reminded of that as I was preparing for, for today. Um, like not in an accusing way, accusatory way, but like, why, why do we do that? Why do we look up at the sky and wonder? Uh, and I still yeah. think that there's something there worth investigating that, and it may, it may be, you know, the more I think about it, it may be connected to that idea of hope because that also is a bit weird. Like, why would yeah. you hope in something that you can't be, you know, be quote unquote certain of? That's right. Yeah, you're taking that fir- that question from the first reading, right? The yeah, yeah, men of yeah. Galilee, why are you standing there looking at the sky? Yeah. So, so like we we tend to read that in a pejorative way. That yeah. The yeah. angels are like, "Dude, what are you doing? Like, get to work." <laughs> but you're yeah. saying it is like, "Tell me why you're looking at the sky." Yeah. What what's happening up there that you're longing for? Mm-hmm. And and that's a really good thing to to evangelize someone whose heart turns heavenward. That's a good thing to affirm, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to say there's a good v- beauty in the heavens, even in the way that we love looking at the stars and love dreaming about the planets and creating gods, you know, fiction, fictional gods that, you know, are emblematic of the stars in the sky and the planets around us. That because we long for the transcendent, we long for divine. And that's up there somewhere. Yeah. And I think I, I really do think that that's something that it, maybe it's just me that I, you know, I. I I hunger for, you know, this cosmic reality. We live in the world, you know, and we're told to go back into the world at the end of mass, go. (laughs) Um, But how do we, how do we latch on to, how do we hope for um, this, 
this new reality that we will be yeah. participating in one day. No, that's good. You know, so a whole homily around hope and really hinging on that image of looking up and longing, uh, looking up and longing, and our hope is there, but also the way to get there is by going down the mountain. Like you want to get up mm -hmm. to the sky, you got to go down the mountain. Yeah. Um, if you want to ascend with Christ, you have to die with him. Mm -hmm. And, and you, know, you know, you look at our gospel, it's not negating any of it. Just like you said, you have to die with him. Thus it is written that Christ would suffer and rise mm -hmm. from the dead. Like th we're not denying the harsh realities of, of life, of the world, of yeah. evil yeah. people. There's uh, a there's a really interesting... So there's a moment in... Um, I, I don't know if it's in the books, but you were talking about the Lord of the Rings. And if uh, in the Lord of the Rings, there's a scene in the movie where from a mountaintop, they see... Uh, they see Mount Doom mm -hmm. and like the next scene is that they have to descend off that mountain to walk through the valley to get there. And mm -hmm. I thought it was kind of an interesting sort of parallel here is that you see where you're going, but to get there, you have to go down. And so mm -hmm. like, you can see the goal of heaven and that's your hope. Uh, but in order to get there, there has to be a descent and that we haven't gone like the disciples that stand on this mountain in Bethany, they haven't gone through the Paschal mystery for themselves yet. Like Jesus has completed the cycle here for him, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> but hmm. now it's your turn for hmm. you. Yeah. Go I mean, down it, it, and go to your own crucifixion. You know, I'd, I've never made this connection before, but it's exactly like what he said um, with baptism, with the washing of the feet. Like, if you don't let me do this for you, then you can't do it yourself kind of a thing. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He completes the whole cycle for himself you know, finishing off, forging the pattern that we will follow, you know, and if we are like our lady, our lady was the first one to follow the pattern of Christ fully. Like she finished the circle for herself too, you know, and she went through her own passion with Christ. And then she was assumed, you know, just like Christ had his ascension. And so the same thing would happen with us if we were to follow our own, the whole, our own Christian hero journey, which is through the descent and then eventually, hopefully through an ascension. Yeah. Hmm. Hopefully. So it's hopefully. <laughs> so it seems like, and I guess we do kind of go back and forth between this idea that we're preaching the feast instead of the readings. I mean, the readings obviously are are informing the feast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think the fact that this line, well, it's it's helpful that these are the only two, like readings. I think in the scriptures for the, for the Ascension, you know, like, uh, and so like, I don't know if we know if we know anything else about the Ascension except from these two readings. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but especially that one line that you honed in on in the first reading, I think is a helpful way of getting at this anyway, you know? Um, yeah. And I think especially for, for liturgies like this, for feasts like this, you know, it, it is in a sense, mm, I don't know if I should say this, but it's not catechetical by nature, but it is, doing something a little bit different yeah yeah no that's good that's good if we want to take something from outside of this really quick that i often think about this you know when we speak about the spiritual exercises with ignatius after all of the resurrection appearances even the p appearances that he uh that jesus makes to paul which ignatius has us reflect on um only after all of those uh out of chronological order he has us reflect on the ascension and so he puts the ascension at the very end, even though chronologically it happens before the appearance to Paul. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason Ignatius does that is precisely what we're talking about is that the, the ascension is the final note of this, uh, of this symphony. And it's the final, it's the closing out of the circle of the, yeah. 
of the of the Paschal mm. circle, you know? And mm. so we reflect on that at the very end because that's the culmination of all of this. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. So yeah, that'd be my parting thought. How about you? <laughs> Nothing. Go pray. <laughs> well, good. All right, man. Till next time. All right, pal.